Welcome everyone to the Spacebar podcast, um, episode number seven for those that you're still counting. Um, I'm Pete Robertshaw and on this week's episode we were breaking down some of the top stories from the world of e-commerce over the past few weeks and there's been a heck of a lot of e-commerce stories the last few weeks so it's going to be today's case of finding a few we can actually get in in an hour or so. But today I'm joined by three guests um, to help us kind of dissect those stories and what's going on out there. Uh, first up is uh, Richard Marshall who is the VP of buying at Sweaty Betty. Um, Sweaty Betty, for those who don't know, uh, they're a design-driven women's activewear brand. I think I've summarized that right. Richard, is that right? Yeah. It's great to have you here, Richard, so thanks for joining us. Um, next up, we've got Gordon Newman, who's the go-to-market director at Lifestyle Sports, who are an online sports fashion retailer, uh, primarily based out of Ireland, but I think obviously you ship worldwide or at least into the UK as well. Is that right, Gordon? Yeah, that's right, and we've um, we've 50 stores, so, um, so we're a real omnichannel business. Cool. Well, it's great to have you here today, especially some of the, the topics we're going to talk about tonight in terms of uh, retail in the high street. So good to have you. And finally, I'm joined by my co-presenter of the Space Bar uh, podcast uh, and also digital commerce consultant at Space 48, Paul Paul Casey. How are you doing, Paul? Thanks. Yeah, good. Thanks for having me, Pete. I'm uh, good to be kind of a guest instead of a host this time. Hopefully, I'm definitely going to try and uh, contribute something, but probably not as good as Gordon and Rich, but we'll see how we get on. We'll see you. Yeah, we'll see. Don't put yourself down, mate. You should be all right. We'll see how we get on. Um, anyway, on this week's episode, as mentioned, um, we're going to talk about some of the top stories that have been making the headlines in the world of e-commerce. Um, the main things we're going to discuss tonight uh, are really the uh, issue around Primark refusing to go online despite obviously losing like over a billion pounds during lockdown. Um, Debenhams over the purchase of Boohoo this last sort of week. And uh, um, ASOS uh, obviously buying Topshop and Miss Selfridge and, uh, and the other smothered brands uh, for quite a significant sum. So, it's quite a lot to get our teeth into there. Uh, but before we get into that, um, as ever, we want to give our listeners a feel for kind of who our guests really are. So we're going to start with some quick five random questions about yourself. So um, Richard, I'm going to start with you if you're ready. Great. Yeah, thanks. Uh, what's your favorite type of takeaway food? Uh, Indian. But only only specific. It's only chicken buddha, uh, two chapatis, and papadons. Nothing else. Never have anything else. Just always the same. And from it's on repeat order, and yeah, it is. And they know we want to go in, it's all very nice. Um, okay, uh, if you could appear in any TV show, what would it be? What's the question? I think Kirby Enthusiasm, but I'll, I'll have to take the main role because he, I think like him, and he thinks like me. I hate everything, I hate everyone, I've got a problem with everybody, and I'm not afraid to say it. That's exactly the type of guest we want on the Spacebar podcast. This is going to go down well. Um, uh, TikTok, Instagram, or YouTube? YouTube. The rabbit holes you can go down are genius. I can can start looking at how to make the best, like, chili dog and end up actually watching a really cold dog just doing something mad. (laughs) YouTube for me all day long. I'd agree with you there. Um, Apple or Android? Apple, all day. I'm an absolute convert. I'm everything. Phones, watch, computer, laptop, everything Apple. Okay, Apple fanboy. Okay, fine enough. Thank you. That was easy enough. Thanks, Richard. Um, Gordon, you're up next. Um, the first drink you'd order at the pub? Uh, the first drink I'd order at the pub is always a pint of Guinness. Um, a pint of Guinness if I'm in Dublin. Um, <laughs> if I'm if I'm not in Dublin um, and I'm back home, then it'd probably be a gin and tonic because you can't really get a good pie at Guinness in the UK. Very, very true. Um, what film would you most like to see a sequel of? Oh, wow. Um, 
that's some question. Um, I think I, I would love to see the sequel to American Beauty, just because that was one of my favourite films of all time. And and what happened to the rest of the family after? Um, that that would be interesting to know. Um, but yeah, I'm not really a mad film buff. Okay, well, great. That's a good, that's a great choice, though. I don't like it. Can I throw in on that? Uh, Can I say go on. Escape to Victory, please? I'm not sure how they're going to create another war, but if they could, <laughs> I'd love to see that with someone like Vin Diesel in goal instead of Rocky. Just, you know, bringing out some incredible football players. And that would be my dream. <laughs> I should have asked you that question. Good answer. Um, okay, Gordon, uh, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn? Oof. Um... I, I I think Twitter just for the uh, just for the horror of the place. It's um, it's it's just full of really quite scary characters and some of the most left field opinions I think I've ever seen. And um, I often get stuck into it. I'm kind of disappointed that Donald's gone. It was um, he was good value. Yeah, he was my time. I was constantly filled with uh, yeah. with uh, Donald. From Banter. I was only there yeah. for the comments though. <laughs> uh okay last question uh listen to a podcast or read a book um listen to a podcast um there's quite a few it, it, there's the business stuff but then there's the, there's the funnier more light-hearted stuff so you know my favorite is i'm grandmam two irish lads living in london uh all of their their, their tales and trials and tribulations but that one would be be my absolute favorite so yeah definitely podcast that's the one thing i like about doing this podcast is we're getting some great podcast recommendations Stephen gave us a few last week so thank you for that it's good to good to know and um, thanks for good answers there as well cheers you're off the hook now uh so paul finally obviously you're a regular on the podcast but uh, you haven't been through this yet so we're gonna we're gonna put you on the spot um what's your go-to spirit of choice um whiskey okay Although I'm uh, on rum. I've got rum at the moment, but yeah, whiskey mainly. Okay. Uh, what was your favourite childhood TV show? Um, Transformers. Optimus Prime was was the man in my eyes when I was growing up. Okay. So I was trying to get a gauge of how old you are, Paul, based on the answer. <laughs> um, uh, WhatsApp, Signal, or good old SMS? WhatsApp. WhatsApp groups, uh, like I've got, I'm on some great WhatsApp groups, my mates, and some of the things that go on there are just ridiculous. So, yeah, WhatsApp all day. Can't beat it. And this is going to be a tough one. If you could de-invent one thing, what would it be? And I mean, by de-invent, I mean take back an invention that's been made. Oh, my God, Pete. That's a, that's, that's deep on me. Oh, my God. Um, I've had a funny answer for you, though. Yeah. Hard to be funny on the spot, isn't it? Um, <laughs> um, I think I think that's a good question. Um, I'm struggling, Pete. I'll be honest with you, because I, I wanted to say I wanted to say something like really meaningful, like nuclear weapons or whatever. But if if we didn't have nuclear technology, we wouldn't have the energy side of things. So I don't know. Um, maybe it's like weapons of mass destruction. I'm just going to say that. Really easy, easy answer. Uh, yeah, I've, you got me there, though. Um, that and vegans. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I hope that, that was good. Uh, because some good answers there. I think it's the, one of the best ones we've had so far. Um, right, we've got a lot to get on with, so we'll crack on. Um, 
the first story we wanted to discuss uh, is one that's actually been discussed and debated quite a lot actually on LinkedIn, um, which is um, Primark ultimately refusing to go online. Not say refusing, but not well, not planning to go online. Obviously, despite suffering from an estimated one billion loss during uh, lockdown, the pandemic. Um, Gordon, I'd like to come to you first on this. Are, are Primark crazy about this, or are they actually being smart? What, what's your take on this? Well, I, I think it's it, as a topic. This is the one that everybody in e-commerce has an opinion on. So. The, whether whether people support it or whether they don't. And it was one of those things that I wanted to go and do a little bit of digging myself to form my own opinion. Because on the face of it, they they target a young customer, they it's fast fashion, they should do really well. So so why is it that they're they're really that they're really not saying that they're going to go online? And I think they've got a massive challenge. And, and this situation that, that, that they're finding themselves in, if, if you look at their, their business model, and I, I went off and wrote about this a little bit, um, their business model is all built around supply chain efficiency. They have this hugely efficient supply chain where they will, um, they're not fully vertically integrated, but they will ship by the pallet through their DC, drop those pallets into stores where, where the product stays until it's sold through. So for them, making a move to, to a single unit um, shipping model just doesn't fit with, with the way that they're set up operationally. And it's a, it, it's a fantastically efficient business, but that's what allows them to, to, to drive these really, really low costs. So I think in, in the short term, I, I don't know whether it's a case of they don't want to go online. It's more that that I don't think they would be able to do that. And they certainly wouldn't be able to do that quickly. And like, no doubt we'll get on to talking about returns. But I do worry for them because I think over the long term, uh, there's going to be a customer expectation that that, that they are going to be able to shop online. And if if Primark can't work out how to do this, then somebody else will, and they will take that customer from them. So you think it's more a logistic, well, it's a change of business model for them then, which they just, it's, it's, not, it's not that easy to switch on overnight. Is that is that kind of where they're coming from in terms of the way they, they currently exist? Yeah, the, the, it's absolutely a complete change in, in the way that they operate. And they they operate wonderful stores. And you know, I, I love shops. Um, for somebody that works in e-commerce, um, I, I, I really do love that retail experience. And Primark stores are great. But their whole business is is configured around absolute efficiency, and like, I don't know if anybody's ever seen anybody try and re- or try to return something in Primark. But um, it, it's quite a quite a long winded exercise. Whereas trying to buy something from Primark is really really quick and really really efficient. And you kind of go in, pick up your big net bag, and and before you know it, you've spent a hundred quid on on stuff that you didn't know you needed. And, and that's that's how their whole business model is built. So now, um, so so to turn that online, that that will present them with absolutely enormous challenges, and particularly when you're looking at the price points that they're selling at. Um, and when I, I kind of quickly modelled it out of like how many units would this be? Because I'm kind of a bit nerdy around it, but like for a billion, if if it was like ten pounds a unit, which I, I believe there's it's probably a little high for a, a Primark price point. They they would be shipping 100 million units to do a billion in turnover, and they may have to deal with 20 or 30% returns in that. So that's like 
20 or 30 million units of returns that they would need to handle, which is absolutely huge. And, and their business just isn't configured to do that. I mean, what do you think about the, the changes? I was just going to say, Pete, uh, the, the, the changes in the pandemic um, obviously will will actually impact this conversation even further. And I think that that's what's causing up a, a bit more of a storm is that, you know, some of the other stories we're going to be discussing later is, you know, the, the businesses that haven't adapted an online model have, have you know, are struggling and, and the ones that are, are online or even pure play online are, are really strong. So I suppose it's getting, it's it's the balance of the business model, but it's also how this, the pandemic has, has accelerated change globally. You know, the, the, the consumer behavior has fundamentally changed and, you know, we, I think that the biggest thing about this story is that that the refusing that the story the headline of the story is actually that they're refusing to go online or they're refusing to invest in their online. Um, now that isn't necessarily um, th- that's up to them, obviously, and they they can see in, inside what their business model is. And like you just said, Gordon, the actual when you put together the economics of the of the model, um, it doesn't work in a traditional e-commerce sense, does it? So it's kind of thinking, well, what what could it look like or what does that look like in a in a post-pandemic kind of UK or even, you know, the, the rest of Europe and, and the world potentially? I, I think one of the key things to, re- to remember about Primark and to note about Primark, though, is that probably unlike some of the other businesses that we're, we're going to get on to talking about, is their retail model has been fantastically successful. They have this, this formula that has, that, that customers love uh, and and they've been able to to grow their business, and there's still like geographic opportunities for them to grow globally. Um, they, they're not they're not fully expanded, but um, <clears throat> I, I I do think there's a there's a change in in customer expectation as a result of the pandemic, and and we see that in our own business. Yeah, Paul, you've been sort of stirring up the debate on this. Uh, I've noticed recently this kind of topic's been hotly debated. What, what's been some of the general thoughts you've seen around this? Is there any consistency in thoughts? Has everyone got their own opinion on this? It's uh, like Gordon said, it definitely, I think one thing's for certain is that you're, you're going to get an opinion back. For anybody that's in the, this industry, you know, you're going to get an opinion back on this. Um, and to be honest with you, when I put this post out there, I was just like sharing a news article. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to stir it up today. Uh, you know, it was it was just like I'm just I just saw this story now, and I just asked the question. The, the question, the exact question that I put on there was, um, I think this story is a bit crazy, and I know they won't make the margin, but in in a, in a traditional e-commerce model, but isn't isn't there like an opportunity for Primark to innovate here? So I'm not saying go online and do the traditional kind of e-commerce store and and whatever that might look like. I'm saying, is there, is there an alternative option? Um, you know, maybe taking a leaf out of other other people's book. And I just thought I'll put it out there. So like 15,000 views, 70 odd comments later, I've, I've got people messaging me and direct messaging me, like really passionate responses to this thing. And I was like, um, I didn't, you know, the, the actual responses has been kind of, some people were like, a little bit like me saying, you know, why is it not already happened? Obviously, there's, there's clearly a reason why it's not happened up until now, and, and they've not really gone for it online. Um, some people have said that it's probably a bad thing for like a number of different reasons. You know, some people saying things like, you know, nothing's impossible, and and quoting some of the. I had people quoting some stats, which I literally just lift and shift. Uh, this one was from Gareth Reese, and he basically said, 
Uh, the adoption to digital solutions has been brought forward more than 5.3 years on average. So we're about five years ahead of a digital solution adoption now than we were post-pandemic. And it's saying 95% of companies worldwide are looking at how they can increase engagement with their consumers through digital platforms. So I think, you know, you, you take a lot of those things into consideration. You do have to balance it out with a lot of the things that Gordon's saying, but also things like, you know, the, the returns is the obvious one. Margin is the obvious one. There was a lot of people actually saying about, you know, sustainability issues because of, you know, fast fashion and, and fashion in general being quite a big contributor to, you know, not not great for the environment. Um, you know, the way that the products are produced and the way that things are shipped out, why would we want to kind of grow a business that is in that space? Again, I, I'm not saying these are my opinions, they're just what people are saying. Um, and I did have a, quite a few passionate people saying they should definitely shouldn't do it. Um, no hero products. You know, things like um, putting things online would be a massive task. That, and, you know, a lot of people trying to say that facilitating the online e-commerce business, as we all know, you know anyone, anyone that knows e-commerce, it's not cheap to run an e-commerce store either. So, you know, you kind of have to think about balancing out the the opinion. So I've kind of got to the, the conclusion now that I would like to see innovation and I want to see something like subscription model or you know, whatever that might look like, um, you know, I'm, I'm from a generation, as as you can tell from my Optimus Prime answer earlier, I used to go to the video shop, you know, we, we used to nip down the road and go to the video shop. I never thought it would be something that you could just access online, taxis, you know, Airbnb, all these different businesses, Amazon Prime, you know, they're, they're innovating in a slightly different way. So maybe there, maybe there is an opportunity for that. I'm not saying it would work, but I'm saying they should probably be considering that in the future yeah. something along those lines yeah innovation does seem the way forward for them uh, richard what what have, what have, what have you been seeing around this what's what's your I've thoughts around the three points on the primark asos.com as most people will know is it's a platform for asos to sell their own brand but also other brands so they'll have doc martins nike reebok adidas um, jack wills a number of brands on their 900 brands on their website they had a uh, Primark on their site a few years ago and they, they couldn't make it work marginalized. The products were stat cheap, but they couldn't make it a profitable model. So they came away from Primark. You've also got a reseller market that's out there in eBay, on Amazon, on Depop, selling brand new Primark product that's an inflated price. So the customer is willing to pay for products from Primark because they know A, it's quality, B, washes well, C, they're used to buying it, and it might be that they just can't get to a store or they don't have a store near them. So there is a market for Primark products online, but it might just be that they have to elevate the price and, and say, we can't do it cheap enough online, but if you do want it, it's going to be at a premium, maybe 25%, 30% nearer. So there is there is something in that that can get around the, 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 the mental issue that they've got at the moment of, these are the prices, this is what we stand for, this is who we believe we are. And then the, the third point is, this will all blow away, I think, when retail comes back. And not because retail is going to come back in the same way, just because the amount of retail is not going to be there anymore. Primark is going to pick up. So the fact you haven't got Topshop, Topman, Burton, Mistel Fridge, all on the high street, they're going to go somewhere. Now, I do a lot of, a lot of retail, um, like, like most e-commerce people, and I, I too love stores. It's my, I just love going out there. And I can see that River Island Art plays to take that market share, 
they go after a slightly different consumer than a Topshop would. But Topshop and Primark are very similar. So they will feel a massive halo just because of what's not out there. And if they do feel that, they'll be seeing it from the, the treetop saying, we were right, we're great, we did this. But if they don't invest in their online in five years' time, they're going to really struggle. They're going to really, really struggle. But I don't know that we're going to, they're going to reinvent the wheel. They're just going to have to come up with a way of doing it. It's interesting you said there about, um, you know, you, you think they'll be fine after the high street picks up again and everyone gets back to it, gets back to it. Um, Gordon, like, I, I don't know if you've looked at this, but how long can they sustain these store closures for? Because I know that I, I live not far from the Trafford Centre in Manchester and they open a huge store up there. The rent on that place must be ridiculous. I don't know if they're getting breaks or whatever. They've got a massive store in Birmingham. Like, how, how long can they sustain this for, do you think? Um, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> and, and, and that would be, I'm sure there are interesting conversations happening with um, with Primark and their landlords. Um, but like ultimately, um, they're a business that's still, I, I think pre-pandemic turnover was over £7 billion. Um, even their 2020 turnover was still just short of, of £6 billion. So um, <clears throat> I'm not sure how long they could sustain it for, but... Um, they are part of a, a very large group of companies that they're, they're very well funded um, and they, they they have been a really really well run very very profitable business um, so I would I would hate to try and try and guess but um, there's smart people in there I, I think Richard wants to guess though Go on, Richard. It's, not, it's, not, it's not a guess my, my biggest concern for them would be most of the retailers have been able to to move their um, business online um, and, and a lot of them probably online with maybe 12 to 13 maybe 15 percent of their store portfolio if you like we've seen that trajectory change and what a lot of them have done is fulfilled from store so all that old inventory will have been sold through by now what a prime outcome they've cancelled every order they've got under the sun they're into fast fashion which means fashion is what the customer wants fashion has changed a year on so all that product they have in store and in warehouse will not be relevant when they open again. So they've probably got another eight months from opening to get to what their customers are expecting. Because when they go in those doors, they'll be seeing product that they were, they were wearing or thinking about wearing two years ago. And those fashions have changed. So they're going to come up with a problem on stock, a problem on um, how that cash flow goes through their business over since the pandemic started. I mean, if anyone can weather it, they can. But... I'm more worried about the other ones that haven't gone yet. You know, you've got rents coming up at the end of Feb, and you've got furlough the charges being finished in March. I think we're going to see a lot more retailers go over the next six months than we ever thought was going to happen. I mean, you referenced the traffic centre before. I went in there pre-Christmas. Uh, I counted 19 stores were empty of the 200. I reckon that'll be nearly 40 by the time it reopens again. That's huge. That is a huge store footprint that's not going to be on the high street. Um, but it gives opportunity to other people, other retailers to, to come into it. Um, I just don't know what it'll look like. I think the point around the the consumers and the bounce back of of this period of time uh, post lockdown. Obviously, we're talking what we now the fourth with the fourth of Feb when we're recording this. You know that the the. the Estimates that came out from the Bank of England, I think it was today or yesterday, were saying that they're going to see, you know, a real resurgence back when lockdown lifts. A lot of people are going to be spending a lot of money. Uh, and if the vaccination program can come through, that's going to be a real positive for the economy. 
But there is, an, there is a forecast and an estimate that going into 2022 that there's going to be a real slump and a real dip. And we've got to think about not only um, kind of brands like Primark, but also the other brands that we're going to talk on this this podcast about, you know, that how some of these household names aren't surviving. Um, I, think, I think the actual answer for Primark is not making online their plan A. I think it's having online as a plan B. And again, like I said before, uh, to the point that Rich has made, actually, you know, they've probably sold all the stock to somebody else. You know, that, that's that's probably what they've already done, and and the the well kind of on with that um, throughout that period of time, and they'll probably be looking at whatever's going on next. But I think for, to not acknowledge that people are going to be buying more and more things online for for the future, I think would just be um, foolish. You know, the, you know, for the brand and for the business as a whole. Because um, all it's going to do is eat into profit margins. Because who's to say that you know we're not going to have any future things like this? And obviously, no one wants that. But uh, there is a lot of uncertainty around any form of like physical market, face to face interaction at the moment. Yeah, I, 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 this this kind of plan B thing is interesting. Like, is this the time now that Primark should be starting to think again and start thinking for the future? Like, if if Gordon, if you were their CEO now. Like, what would be some of the things you're starting to think about? Would you be planning for the future, thinking this is going to happen again? What, what, what is this time to evaluate the business model? Well, absolutely. I think the future is massively uncertain. Um, will this happen again? Probably. Do we know how long this is this is going to continue for in, in its current state? We actually don't know the answer to that question today. And um, so, so I have no doubt that. That they're looking at this but if you look at, again broader competitors and that the two biggest fashion uh, fast fashion retailers in the world h&m intertex both of those are, are pushing forward with with huge investment in online um as i suppose as their plan b um and because they're they're no longer seeing that growth in stores so i'd, I'd be looking at ways to solve the problems and and, and to paul's point innovation what are the innovative ways that that could be applied to this? Or, or as Richard was saying, is this as simple is this as simple as as increasing the online price point and and getting it to work that way? I, but I would definitely be considering it. It's interesting. This plan B. Any any retailer, any brand who considers online a plan B is living a dream. It's a plan A. It's your plan A. Forget, forget your plan B, make this your plan A, because this isn't going to go away. It's, so I, I did a talk to 400 um, of our BAs and ABs at ASOS, all around 2022, no, no more than that, young, young uh, people in London, and I asked the question, how many of you go to physical retail a weekend? How many put the hand up? One. They've got more time, they've got more things to do in their life. They don't want to go and walk around the store. They want to get delivered at home, try on, send back, and they want to go to the park. They want to go for a walk. They want to do a gym class. They want to go for coffee. They want to, they want to have a life. So if you think in 15, 20 years' time, those kids that are 20 now who aren't shopping now, they ain't going to be shopping then. And the new ones, they won't be shopping either. So it's a dying model. It has to be your plan A. You've just got to invest in it with the, with the, right, with the right intent. And, and that's, you know, I, I, I'd have broaden the question when retail came back a little bit when when they kind of unlocked it a little bit after the first wave where did you see what what happened to the customer um journey did they go back to main high streets or was it more of the retail parts that they went back to 
It was more retail parks. And the only the only retail business that had any kind of queues going on and people were really, really desperate to jump back into was Primark because they were they oh. the, the customer was was starved of, of, of that Primark product and they have such a loyal fan base. But um, I, I think customers will be absolutely reticent to. Um, especially when we first reopen after the, after this lockdown, they won't be rushing back into um, into high streets. I, I, I just can't see that happening. I can see I can see retail parks being being more popular, um, shopping centres. It will be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but you know, at the the end of the last lockdown, it was Christmas, so. Uh, there was heightened demand. This is not, we are not going to open or reopen in a, a peak trading period. So that's also going to impact impact customer behavior. And this has been going on for so long that that change in behavior has had chance to become ingrained. It's not just, we've done it once, now let's get back to the shops. It's, we've done it over and over and over again. And all those customers who didn't believe in online and weren't confident in doing it, they found a way. And they and they've got confidence in it. Those you know, forty something, forty five year olds, fifty year olds who would love to go to retail because they want to try on, they want to go to John Lewis. They've actually found that John Lewis did a great job of delivering to your home. So actually, I can do what I need to do in the house, or we can go for that walk we're always talking about. So people's lives have changed. Five years, I reckon, as that as that stat you gave before, and that's about right. I was talking to Nike, and they said exactly the same thing. So they were looking to get in five years for 50% of their business to be through their D2C model. That was our ambition. They're past that now. Okay. I feel like we've got a general consensus here around Primark and the fact that this should be number one on their agenda. This is, I feel like they should be getting online. And there's people out there saying, yeah, no, they should leave it. But I think the general consensus in this podcast so far is, yeah, this is something you, they definitely need to be looking at. So I think we're all agreed on that. Um, we've got an awful lot to get through. So I think we could talk about Primark all night. But uh, I think one of the other things I wanted to talk about, which is very related actually, uh, is one of the many brand acquisition stories that's been broken the past sort of week. And that's around Boohoo acquiring Debenhams and the, the, the brand and the website. Um, obviously, Debenhams kind of went into administration last year anyway and been struggling for a while, I think even before COVID. But I think the Adam administration was probably always on the cards. Um, but Richard, I kind of want to come to you first on this. Um, obviously, Boohoo, the fashion retail, well, fast fashion retailer, buying up a department store brand, and that's your name on the website. What what does this mean for Boohoo? Like, are we going to see them expanding out the fashion range with this move? What what what's what's triggered this this acquiring of Debenhams? It's an interesting one. I think they've been acquiring brands for a while. Nasty Gal, uh, they've got they've got Oasis, they've got Karen Millen, they've got Coast. So they've been acquiring these brands. It's okay to have them, but you've got to have somewhere to put them on. And you know, for Boohoo to go and do an ASOS with Boohoo is is an ask. You go and take a because Boohoo is women's only doesn't do kids doesn't do men's so it's, it's quite exclusive Debenhams is, is a well-trusted name obviously it's in the situation it's in because its retail environment never moved on if you like it's a bit a bit stale in, in its environment when you're in there but actually to take that online and then give it a kind of marketplace and you can host your brands on there to get your margin up then you could bring on the likes of the Adidas's. Uh, if you're going to do sports, Nike you could bring on. Then you start to look at whether you bring Levi's on, Lee, various denim brands. 
all of a sudden you've got a retailer platform that can do things that Amazon can't. Amazon can't do fashion. They struggle like mad. No, re- no brand wants to open with them. So actually to go and do that, and you've already got a house of brands to go on there to support your margin, because let's get it right, you're never going to earn a fortune if you're dealing with the likes of Nike, Adidas, um, and Paul Smith and Levi's. That's not going to make you millionaires. But the brands underneath that you can sell alongside, they will. So I see it as a really good move. When you look at the likes of Zalando and the size of that business, it's an all-encompassing business. It sells to women, kids, and men. It's not very well known in the UK. In Europe, it's massive. It turns over about five billion a year. Mm-hmm. You've got ASOS, which is very well known, but they're so focused on the twenty-something. If you're not twenty, they don't want to know about you. So Debenhams can be all things to all people. So actually, it makes a really sound investment model to go and do a platform, and it's a well-trusted name. So I can see that it's um, well thought through. I've heard that it's going to be uh, apparel, footwear, face and body, and a little bit of home. So it kind of it kind of makes sense to me. I want to pick up a point you made there, and um, again, throw it out, throw it out to any of you. I'm always a bit skeptical about businesses that simply buy up brands, like like Debenhams, example. It's really well known on the high street, but consumers know that that's no longer the same business. Like Debenhams, surely now isn't it's not going to have the reputation that it has had, you know, as a traditional, you know, department store on the high street. Like, what what value does this actually bring to Boohoo? They, yeah, they've got the Debenhams name, but surely consumers are savvy now. This is now owned by Boohoo. It's not the same. Debenhams that it was but same was like I think like when Woolworths got bought like Woolworths had yeah, got I, reinvented uh, MFI I, got I, reinvented I, but no, the people I know this isn't the same brand the only reason these businesses are being bought is because they've, they've been run badly so I, I, I always love it when they do regional news and they're outside Debenhams in Stockport and Shirley from Bradbury stood outside saying oh I come here every week yeah you might 7,000 others don't because when they get in there the product's wrong the pricing's wrong and the experience is wrong. So surely from Bradbury is going to be upset. The other 7,000 people who shop elsewhere, they're not that upset. But actually, if you take it online, you've got a good experience, good customer service, good returns, uh, seamless uh, transactions, and start to give them good brands, good adjacencies. Then you can enhance the name. What you have to do is, is take that name before it's being driven down. So you look at the lights of, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I kind of swore in my head I wouldn't do this, if you take a Slazinger, for example, which used to be a great brand, the Sports Direct take it, and all of a sudden it's the worst brand on earth. That That's never going to work because all you're going to do is dumb it down. But actually, acquiring brands, strategic brands, and doing it in the right way, it's, it's a really good, really good way to get your margin up, but also keep the brand integrity intact so long as you look after it. You've got to have an intent to do something with it. It can't just be a margin drive. It can't just be something that, oh, we'll just put Slazinger on. Tennis bats, cricket bats, um, trainers, football, golf, and just put on everything because then it doesn't mean anything. And if you can keep it to what it's what it's meant for, and let's get right, Debenhams is the ultimate department store almost. It was a department store before really department stores were. So if you can take that online and do it well, I think you've got a, a really good, a really good, a really good um, marketplace to actually do something. I don't think it hurts it, but I, I tell you what you mean. In the past, you've seen some uh, some things get acquired and they just disappear off the face of the earth. So why do you even buy it? Um, I can think of many that that JD have bought or Mike Ashley's bought that have just ended up going nowhere, and they were all you know hard decent brands at the time. Yeah, it's where they don't keep the brand's original handwriting. 
So, and I think Boohoo have, they did well with their early acquisitions, Nasty Girl, Miss Pap, but they were quite aligned to, to Boohoo's handwriting anyway. It was, it was quite closely aligned, but then the other acquisitions that they've made, the, the Oasis, Warehouse, Karen Millen, Coast, um, so far they, they've succeeded in, in keeping the brand's original handwriting in there and, and, and actually driving some differentiation through it. Um, so I think this is this is a really smart acquisition as long as it's handled correctly. But, you know, like the Karen Millen customer isn't going to want a, you know, 12 pound tube dress. It, it's a completely different customer. And, and, and by by maintaining that brand integrity, um, I think they're really in, in, a, in a great space. And I think the biggest opportunity with them is going to be beauty. Um, and 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 this really opens up the beauty market for Boohoo, and I think it's something that they would do very very well. So, do we see some of the brands that Debenhams used to sell um, in the, and obviously not their own brands? Do we see them becoming part of the Boohoo mix as well? John Rocha by Rocha. Uh, any mean, like in terms yeah. of the, so the the perfume ranges they sell? Well, probably. I mean, the face and body market is is, is incredible. Um, it really really grabs a customer. I think I think. Uh, Gordon's right. I think the face and body market will be incredible for them. I also think the kids' market, that tweens market, could be incredible for them because I don't see many retailers doing that well. I think JD does an incredible job at it, but outside of that, I don't see anyone doing it well. Um, to that market. Probably next. Yeah, but I, I think next is fine to about 10 until you realize you've just got the word next written on your t shirt and everyone's going to shout at you and just the school day, school day. And then you want somewhere a little bit more. A little bit more fruity, um, and they have nowhere to go. Those those kids at the moment. I think, I think that's where they can really pick up. But it's, it's, I think I think it's a great move. I think it's a great move for the only thing I don't think it's a great move for is the high school. I think it's absolutely absolutely decimated. Um, Devon's is such a pillar on the high street. It's always there. You never go in it, but it's always there. Um, and I think that's that, that's going to be the the death now for a, a lot of uh, small towns. A hundred, I think, one hundred and thirty Debenham stores, pretty much on on every major high street. There's eleven of them over here in Ireland, and 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 they are big, big units. They're they're going to be difficult to fill, difficult to cut up. What is going to happen to those properties? And then what happens to the stores that are adjacent and opposite? Um, <clears throat> it will leave a huge gap across the high street for sure. You mentioned Richard about them being a pillar of the high street, like how they were. Like if you think again, traf- back to the Trafford Centre, opposite end of the Trafford Centre, John Lewis take up a massive, huge footprint. Like how like, it, Trafford Centre has already been in trouble anyway from the the the, the, own, the owners been to. Like that is a huge retail space to fill. Like what what, what what's going to happen well, with I mean, these empty stores? If you ever been to Westfield in London? You go into a section of of the of the um, what's it called? The mall. You've got boutiques, top end boutiques. You don't have that in and around Manchester, really. So if you were to take up that, divide it up, your smaller stores, and give it to high-end aspirational boutiques, you'd have you'd have a chance. I think so. I think Selfridges might have a, a, a conversation within that about what their adjacencies look like. But to be honest, that's all you're going to Trafford Centre for now. It's Selfridges, and, that, and you know, that in itself is is a crying shame. Um, that's the way of the world now. It won't just be them. As I said before Christmas, there was 18 stores not taken up. There'll probably be another 20 on top of that because Topshop was a big store. Topman was a big store. 
Miss Selfridge is a big store. Debenhams a big store. You know, that's that's probably a third a third of your your size of retail gone. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do. Genuinely. Paul, on from you on this, I mean, Gordon and Richard are both kind of saying the great move for Boohoo here. What's your take on it? Yeah, I think I think it's a great move for Boohoo. I think anybody that underestimates the team at Boohoo and the family that are behind Boohoo would be an absolute fool because they know online, they get online, they know how to acquire customers, they've got systemized way of creating sales through existing brands. So to to turn around and say, oh, we don't think they could then target Gen X or Boomers, I think would be a bit naive. Um, I think they get online. I think if they're going to create their own version of ASOS for an older demographic with a bit more money in the pocket, I think they'll they'll do quite well because you know if they are do, if they are branching out into other areas of this kind of customer journey, and they're looking at homeware, they're going to see you know homeware sports and some other brands and labels compared to the margins that they're currently looking at. You know they're probably going to be um, quite happy about what they're in, inheriting into the group. And, you know, from, from what I've read, it seems like they're going to put them onto the Salesforce cloud commerce platform, uh, which is the same platform that they're on. Um, and they're going to do that this year. So they're not they're not going to be messing around when they're going to start creating this new funnel. And all of those people who are buying from John Lewis online or, or used to go to the high street, those people, I believe that those habits have changed. Uh, whether they've changed for good or not, I don't know. But I do definitely think that they can capitalize on that. Um I definitely feel that you're going to get a completely different, obviously, experience. And I'd be really interested to understand what they do with the customer experience because the customer experience in their traditional e-commerce stores, uh, you know, for, for how they've got it now is is very much based on a fast fashion market. So it'd be interesting to see what they do with the commerce experience on the front end. Uh, but I think the principles are still there. All the main principles are still there. So yeah, I think I think it's more a case of watch this space, see what happens over time. Um, obviously, there's there's some negativity around the brand itself, and and there have been you know it's not all kind of rosy when it comes to Boohoo. There there are some bad news stories. Um, from what I've read, there's about twelve thousand jobs that are at risk now at Debenhams and are probably going to go. Um, that's twelve thousand people in a pandemic that are going to need to find a job, which is hot, which is a horrible thought. You know, it's not all good news. And and I think that those people who were affected under those worker pay conditions and some of the other things that sit around some of the environmental impacts, like I mentioned earlier, you know, it's it's not necessarily all a good thing. But I think these guys are that savvy that they're going to make it work online no matter what. You know, I, I genuinely think that they're, they're just, they just understand online so well that I feel that they will make it a success and I think what that will then do to the other brands that we've have even been mentioned on this, you know, this podcast, um, how they're going to now impact the the customers, because um, they've essentially bought a massive customer base as well. You know, they've not just bought a brand; they've bought a massive customer base. So I'd be really interested to see what happens. Um, I hope it doesn't mean that this is like a bit of a power play to get rid of, or the other brands fall because of you know because of this move. Because the I think the the new Debenhams experience will will be strong, um, but yeah, it's I, I, the way that I described it on on LinkedIn was was basically it's a bit like at the end of Monopoly, you know, when that person's got all the cash and they end up just buying everything up. It's a little bit like that. It reminds me a bit of some form of post apocalyptic bloody Monopoly game or something. But yeah, hopefully the the other brands will bounce back and there will be competition in the market, but. I think it's going to be fascinating. Though, to see what the, they two, 
two businesses we'll be talking about. We've got Arcadia Group and you've got Debenhams. Both saw online as plan B. Both didn't invest in their online. You know, both believed in bricks and mortars to the end. Even though ASUS is a 20-year-old business, Boo has been going for a number of years. Amazon's been going and driving everything uh, mad for the last 20-odd years. You've got Zalando who's been around for 20 years. And everyone's been saying online, 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 online to death. These guys ignored it. And these guys have both been bought out because they didn't move on. Just speaks to what we're talking about before. It's not a plan B, it's a plan A. You've just got to get, you just got to get your house in order and get after it. Yeah, exactly. 100%. 100%. And that's, I think that's what I'm saying about Boohoo is that those guys understand customer journey. They understand customer funnels. They understand online. You know, the, the level of and volume of sales that these guys are putting through their store, people shouldn't turn their nose up at them. You know, you, you, you know, you don't meet too many billionaires who, are, who aren't good at what they do. You know, so yeah, it'd be really interesting. And you have to remember Boohoo is what? How long have Boohoo been around now? 10, 12 years maybe? So those customers of Boohoo that were that were twenty when Boohoo launched are now uh, they're now thirty two. They're now approaching their mid thirties. They need somewhere to send them. They can't keep selling them the same product over and over again. So uh, they, the the group itself will will have gained loyal customers as they've grown up with the brand and and now they they've got somewhere to go with that and i i think that's that that's a really clever part of this one strategy. thing I, I said when we were just in the pandemic and it just started kind of about may time i commented in asos and i said what this will do is it'll make all the retailers who weren't focusing their energies on online it will make all the ceos all the fds sit up and go we can do this to have a number without the stores. Oh, wow. Okay, great. And it will make them better online. But what it will do is it will make all the online retailers who are really good at it, really good. Because they've got to step their game up. So you're going to have the likes of a Debenhams run by a company who know online really well. They're going to be able to trade and get a new customer acquisition on their Debenhams site. But places like John Lewis will not be able to compete because they're online savvy versus John Lewis who live on the customer service, live on the name but actually acquiring new customers that takes discount it takes social media it takes a lot of manpower it takes a lot of investment something that these other retailers probably won't do until it's maybe a little bit too late so i think you'll see that as well i think you'll see other retailers who have who, who are going to start thinking about online as plan a really starting to struggle initially i mean they'll they'll be comping their numbers they'll be doing 127 percent like for like on the year everyone will be happy and those numbers aren't numbers anymore. You're talking about 500% off is where you need to be if you because you come from such a low base. But you've got a life to boot, and we're going to be doing some really aggressive customer acquisition over the next year to get that customer on Debenhams to understand whether it's a platform to get the customer repeat buying. Um, and that, that'll, that'll raise the game of other online retailers. So it's going to be a really interesting next three years. We've touched about ASOS quite a bit so far on the on the podcast. We've been named, mentioned quite a few times, and it's natural too because of the, what's been going on. And I guess we're going to pick up on that. Um, obviously, they've obviously just required Topshop, Topman, and Selfridge, and kind of the brands in the Arcadia Group. Um, I don't believe again with ASOS has any plans to retain the stores. And I guess why would they? Which again, more jobs are going to be going. But Richard, I guess as a former ASOS man yourself, again, does does this look like a good move it's for a great ASOS? Move for ASOS, it's a lot of money. I've got to say, I think it's. it's I was surprised at how much they paid for it, considering there's no stores in it. Um, I don't believe there's 
How much was it again? 300 million was it or something? Um, I don't believe there's a massive amount of stock coming across. There'll be an order bank place with suppliers that we'll take on, but that won't be, I doubt that'll be part of a deal because you're going to pay for it until it comes. So it's, it's a big price to pay for those names. Although Topshop may carry some absolute weight on high street, the UK high street. Outside of the UK, it's not that well known. In the US, it's, it's, it's decent in New York, and it, it, but outside of that, it's, it's, it's not, not huge. What I'm surprised at is I have heard that they're going to close the Topshop website down, the Topman website down, and myself before I've signed. I'm amazed at doing that. I think there's still credibility to run them as standalone websites, still feeding the product through to ASOS, but having that credibility of those kind of landing pages, that, that brand page that the customer knows to go to, to put it all through ASOS could get lost. Um, but it, from, from outside looking in, it's, it's what I am now. It's an incredible uh, deal for them. They're incredible brands to have on. They will allow probably, so ASOS used to have the likes of Boohoo on their pretty little thing on their website. They probably might not need to have them on there anymore and feed that other business that's doing incredibly well. They might be able to just go, we've got Topshop, we've Selfridge, We've got ASOS, our own brand underneath that to stack it. And, it, you know, it'll be margin rich. Or well, I say margin rich. We've got 295 million holes of our first. A different bit of the P&L. <laughs> so, um, that, that, I, I, I think it's a super acquisition for them. I really do. And um, and, and also from, from a, a competitive um, perspective, um, it, it, it really does shore up the... Um, their defence against um, against the offensive of Boohoo. So um, I'm not quite sure who the other potential suitors would have been for Topshop, Top Man. It, it, but it, it's likely that, that that the other obvious choice would have been Boohoo. So um, and, and that means that 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 would have been a real competitive threat to um, to, to ASOS because. The Topshop brand, particularly in the UK, as Richard said, is an absolute powerhouse. So, so, so I think that there's all of the benefit that they're, that they're going to, to be getting from onboarding these brands, but there's also this this competitive. Um, I suppose it, it, it's a protective move, um, and it and it will shore them up. So, so they'll benefit from that. I wonder whether we're going to see something in the UK like you see in the Middle East and China, where you've got licensing businesses speaking to an ASOS saying we'd like to run top shop stores in the UK and licensing that brand across retail because I can't I can't imagine that because I can't see anyone going to pump a load of cash into a new brand or going to do another 250 River Island stores but I could see someone going right okay major cities 50 top shop stores we want to license the name We'll buy the product from you, or we might even license the brand ourselves to go and do it. I can see that model coming in. The question is, will the customer want it? And I think when you've got a license in Topshop who haven't been harmed on high street, they're clean, really, really clean. You could actually do it. Um, so I wonder whether we'll see something like that happen in the, in the near future. Paul, thoughts on that? I, I was, I was going to say, I, th- I think there will continue to be a demand for, for the the high street of um, you know the high street options for the brands that we just discussed, but um, I was on I went on just in preparation for this I went on the Topshop website and uh, it just has one button and it's just a click through that says twenty percent off ASOS 
and it's the same on Top Man and these you know these banners all over the show. It's on the it's on the top of the app. You know, the day it was announced, it was on the top of the app on ASOS. So I've I've been looking around. And I've just been seeing it. Um, it's funny. Click through on the product, and it says it gives you a twenty percent code for any customers coming through. But when you click through and it shows you the shopping category, none of the top shop product is actually discounted on the listing page. It's all of the other brands and it's the ASOS own brand products. So they're, they're actually got, obviously you can get a 20% discount code, but what they're doing already, day one, they're already putting the ASOS product next to it and going, hey, you know, like you used to walk in the street and go with your friends. Well, this is pretty similar and it's roughly, you know, 30, 40% cheaper than top shop. So they're actually you know, using it as a driver for their own brand. And then now that it's part of the kind of empire, um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they do it. But, the, you know, the, the the strategy for ASOS, I think, obviously, Richard, you know way more about this than I do. But um, for me, the, the strategy has always been the same, to continue to grow the marketplace, to continue to have the best brands on there and to continue to to really appeal to the, you know, the customer demographic that you were talking about earlier. So I think it really, you know, it's a really strong move. I think um, it's almost a defensive move against probably a boo-boo who are probably going to buy it. Um, so to, to do that, yeah. I mean, it's a very UK-focused brand, and ASOS's growth is not going to come through this market. This market, they're very they're very maturing. They've been doing it for 20 years. They're very well known on the high street. Yeah, if you go to Germany, they'll say Zolando. If you go to America, they won't talk about ASOS at all. They'll talk about actual brands or they'll talk about Nordstrom or they'll talk about um, um, Arnie's or we'll talk about um, a number of other retailers. We won't mention ASOS. And that brand, Topshop, doesn't really resonate in either of those markets. So it's, it is more of a defensive move. What you'll see eventually, I think probably about 20% of the stock that's on that site will be Topshop and it'll be margin rich because the price of the to, to, to take will be higher than they will for an ASOS product because of Topshop on it. Um, but I, I've just gone and had a look at the Top Shop, top shop site, like you said, Paul, and I think that's horrendous. I think it looks horrendous. It shouldn't. It should say ASOS, but it should really be yeah. talking about Top Shop and saying, "Come up, come to ASOS and shop Top Shop." But actually, just screams discount and ASOS. It, it does look a bit ropey. Yeah, I've uh, obviously I, I was just doing doing a little bit of research looking at it. I mean, there's there's two points that that really shocked me, and I agree with what you're saying there. You know, the, again, this is just another thing that's like a broader thing but you know we, we are you know british and, and looking at how it might impact um you know jobs there's two and a half thousand jobs going out of the stores they, they basically turn around and said that they're not going to keep any of the stores even the flagship on Oxford. so um they said they're only ever going to do that if yeah, I know, and and it's. I don't be wrong. I actually think that it's great that they're sticking to that. But even like Deloitte, who came in and actually sorted the deal out, they were like, "No, actually, I think you should probably consider this, even if you had one flagship or if you had, you know, something. It, it could have been an opportunity for ASOS to actually have a physical presence. But you know, I, I'm not. I'm not going to argue against a business as as big as that. But I think the the other thing is, and and this is, I, I only found this out when I did a bit of digging. Um, they looked at they, when they bought the brand, they've not got any of the stores and they've got none of the warehouse or distribution centers. They basically looked at them and said, these aren't fit for purpose. This is not ready for online. How how did this business ever operate online? So ASOS have basically just picked out the bits that they need and have, have value in and they'll, they'll continue to grow. And, and, you know, I'm sure that 
I think the thing that it does for me, I think, again, it's similar to the last one where I think they're buying a demographic, they're buying customers, they're buying more customers to go into their kind of overall pot of customers. I wouldn't be surprised if those brands aren't around in five, six, seven years' time. I wouldn't be surprised at all because I think the transition to ASOS own brand will be the main objective. So I, I would be very surprised to see that when they start to shop in, in more of a marketplace environment, you know, because essentially when you go into Topman and Topshop, you can still buy the brands. You could still go in and buy uh, Levi's or you could buy other other types of brands. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually think that I'll be surprised if some of those brands that they've acquired I, I, will actually I, still be around, you know, around in five, six years. Time. You would license brands and then you would phase them out once you've got the customer on. I think because of the fact they own it, and it's, there's no royalty to pay, therefore you, it's margin rich. It gives you, instead of, because if you don't have Topshop on, you only have ASOS on, the, customer, the customers that come, the amount of customers that come onto ASOS, they're looking for choice of width. And if you don't have choice of width of brand on there, you're just going to put another brand in there and buy another brand. If you've got Topshop, that's another brand you don't have to bring on, and it's also margin rich for you. So it kind of, it kind of fits perfectly into the, into the makeup of, of what ASOS wants to do. We, we've been moaning before about Primark not changing their model. And actually, it's in the reverse here. We're actually saying that ASOS should change their model and go and have some physical retail. I imagine if you look at a P&L for each store, the top shop, you'll find probably 20, 20% of the estate will work and will, will be profitable. Only 20% of the estate. But then, then they're worth keeping them because it keeps that customer out there. It was interesting to see what they're at. They are actually keeping as part of the deal and they're keeping about 300 staff from the head office out around the products and the design side of things, which I think makes complete sense because I think there's one thing that Top top Shop um, in particular has always done really well is knowing what the product is, looking at the trends and, and actually appealing to the mass market through the trends. So I think that's I think a smart that'd be, move. But again, I think that'd be interesting only, only that time will tell. Whether not saying that a percentage of them will go, yeah. what I'm saying is you might bring those 300 in and lose another 150 of natural wastage from your own business. You've, whenever you take on a business like that, you've got to bring some market knowledge in of, of where the POs are, where the stock's being made, what's in the pipeline. So you've got to bring people over. Because if you don't, you're going to end, you're going to end up in a world of pain. So it's a smart move initially, but, but I would imagine that you'll see some natural wastage over the next six months. Definitely won't keep them all. You'll probably see that that top shot handwriting then maintained throughout the product. Certainly in the first in, in the first six months, which means it will be good for um, you know maybe another four if, seasons you know, or so. If you if you take over a business, normally in any business, there's probably about let's say a business of two hundred people. You've probably got five, and if you keep those five, you will keep the DNA of that brand running right through. And the other 195, however good they were, those five are the key. So you'll find in that 300 the ones that can keep the handwriting, and they're the gold. You just have to find that. Yeah, and they'll be in that. They'll be in that pile of 300 somewhere. Okay, thanks, guys. Uh, I think that just about wraps up this episode. There's been some really good insight there. It's been kind of really good to get your take on what's been, a, I guess, a very busy start to the year. I guess I'm looking forward to seeing what sort of more stories unfold over the next few months as we continue to get out of this uh, pandemic. But again, I do appreciate it. This has been really good, really good to chat today. Uh, so thanks for joining us, all three of you. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Pete. Cheers. Um, I guess. Thanks, guys.
Cheers, Gordon. Uh, I guess thank you for listening as well. Uh, we obviously really do appreciate your support. Uh, we have hopefully enjoyed what you hear each week. If you would be interested in joining us on the podcast or want to hear something specific discussed, um, please reach out to us at space48.com or you can find us on LinkedIn and, and let us know what you want to hear. Or if you want to say you want to be part of the podcast, we'd be more than happy to help you. Um, but for now, that's it for this episode. It's been great having you along for the listen. Take care, stay safe, and we'll see you on the next one. Cheers. You've been listening to Spacebar, a podcast brought to you by Space48. We're a UK leading CX and e-commerce platform specialist. If e-commerce content's your thing, then please be sure to subscribe to hear more. Do you like what you've heard or is there room for improvement? Please leave us a review and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.